Whether I'm turkey hunting, scouting, or glassing for game, I never go into the woods without my Vortex Optics. With their VIP warranty, I can go with confidence because it'll replace any glass damaged in the woods. I dropped my binoculars out of the deer stand last fall, and Vortex got me fixed up and back in the tree in no time. Vortex makes the highest quality and affordable rangefinders, binoculars, and scopes on the market. Y'all check them out at vortexoptics.com. Support for this episode comes from Kuat Racks. Kuat makes industry-changing products, including kayak, bike, and truck bed racks for the Ozark Outdoorsman, manufactured with the utmost care to quality, style, and longevity. With their lifetime, no worries, limited warranty, they stand behind their products like no other company. Most importantly, Kuat gives back to the community and makes positive impacts on the environment by partnering with grassroots groups. Through their Future Forest Initiative, they plant one tree for conservation with each rack sold. Kuat is based in Springfield, Missouri, and proudly supports all things Ozarks, including this show. Visit kuat.com for more information. Seeing lots of development outside the boundaries of the Buffalo River. Before European settlement, the Ozarks were just completely full of glades. I mean, what? Yeah. What? It's just been an absolutely wild year. You're listening to the Ozark Podcast. We sit down with men and women from the Ozarks that have a passion for the outdoors. Our aim is to listen, learn, and pass along their knowledge and experiences to help you become a better outdoorsman. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to the Ozark Podcast. We've got another internal episode for you guys this week. Man, we've we've been outside a little bit, but frankly, it's been pretty icy, pretty cold, and not very hospitable outside. Um, so we haven't been able to keep doing our the normal stuff that we do, deer hunting and and the trapping. But we have been getting out a little bit, mm-hmm. and we've we've done some stuff that we don't normally get to do. Being Ozarkers here in the hills and hollers, it's it's not very often that we get to go outside and and do some duck hunting. Um, and Kyle, we weren't hunting together. I know you you went a different way, and we actually kind of went opposite. I ways. went south. You went north. Right. That's, that's right. The average listener and outdoorsman may be like, okay, whatever. But yeah. We got to go duck hunting. Yeah. Which for Ozarkers could be kind of rare. I mean, yeah. I know you can get into them around here. I, I was even reading some blogs that were written in like 2011 on duck hunting Beaver Lake. <laughs> I think I read the same blog. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the one blog. Yeah. And I know there's some I know there's some good spots around here where you can get into some ducks, but as far as like good good duck hunting goes, yeah. We're not in the area for it. No, you're we're not. in the state for it, but not the right area for it. So we got to duck hunt. We've been uh we've got traps ready to go and placed and uh <laughs> placed. <laughs> Did we <laughs> uh no we I don't. thought you put some out. <laughs> no. They're placed in a box. <laughs> In the same box that we put them in after we boil them. Uh, so, yeah. Boiled, waxed, placed in a box. Soon to be placed. <laughs> there you go. On a beaver dam. That's right. You want to tell your duck hunting story? Yeah, I do. And it's funny. So, I am not a duck hunter. And, and growing up in the Ozarks, like you said, you kind of have to leave the Ozarks to to get into some really good numbers. And and I feel like with anything, numbers usually is how you get good at doing mm-hmm. anything. Whether it's fishing turkey hunting, deer hunting, if you don't have a whole lot of opportunities mm-hmm. in, in the volume of, of chances, you, you don't get the opportunity to learn from mistakes that you make, um, you know, learn how to capitalize on, on those opportunities. So 
That's why you take your kids to a stocked pond to yeah. start out on fishing. Exactly, yeah. Or just, you know, hop in any creek and fish for long ear sunfish all day long mm-hmm. and catch a hundred. And then you're like, by the end of the day, you got a pretty good rhythm um, to it. So, so yeah, so I uh, got, got to get out and do it. I actually duck hunted a little bit in college um, with some buddies. Uh, and we would drive down to like Fort Smith and Clarksville and try to hit the Arkansas River. And we just, we never figured it out. It was, it was rough. We saw birds and it was just kind of tough hunting. So to get to do something with, um, actually went up uh, to Kansas with James Brandenburg of BHA, who you guys have heard on the podcast before. Mm-hmm. And um, kind of last second thing, he was like, hey man, we're headed up to, to Kansas and, um, you know, it's going to be a pretty casual thing, but we're going to get on some ducks and you're welcome to come. So I was like, I love it. And you were already down in Stuttgart, like duck hunting capital of the world mm-hmm. or down in that area. And I was like, gosh, man, I'm jealous. Like Kyle's down there. I want to go duck hunting. So I was like, yeah, let's go. So we took off um, and Friday night, got up there. Actually, uh, I drove up early Saturday morning. So I'm starting off the, at the just butt crack of dawn. What time did you get up? Three. Yeah, that'll do it. Yeah. And, uh, and, and drove up there. And plenty of daylight, I mean, plenty of time because daylight, you know, it's a little bit later right now. So got up there and uh, met up with with James and his two buddies and they've got a lease up there. And we just started hunting some farm ponds up there, which is way different than any of the kind of duck hunting that I've seen, at least on on YouTube. And I'm sure way different than what y'all were doing um, mm-hmm. down in the, the motherland of duck hunting. So were you like jumping birds up on ponds and then going to a different pond or do you have a decoy spread and a dog and like we're set up so we had a dog we did have a decoy spread uh we we started off we didn't start off on on pond hopping and and jumping ducks got it you started off in a river we had a blind okay on it on a pond got it um and so basically so this is the central flyway Mm -hmm. um over there in kansas and you're kind of just you're set up on a on a pond we were in a blind that these guys um had been kind of working on and they'd planted japanese millet around the pond and they've been trying to improve this this pond over the last year or two since they got the lease and so we were set up in the blind four guys and we we sat down we had a dog and we just started you know we're watching the skies we're calling we got a decoy spread out there and um and it was cool i mean immediately right away we started having birds come in and um you know we had like a a pack of ringnecks come in or a flock of ringnecks uh, you can tell I'm not a duck hunter. Just a pack. The pack. I don't <laughs> know all the, the right words um, here, being an Ozarker. But, um, yeah, man, it was fun. I, I just, I enjoyed seeing how they were flying in and watching them, you know, turn and work and then cup down and, and the way that they would just work the pond before they'd really come in and land and how we were calling to them and the back and forth. That was how we started the day. And we ended up getting a few birds, but then kind of as it petered out, they had access to a couple different um ponds and so we kind of went pond hopping and jumping to see and kind of scout too some of it's mm-hmm. you're not just going to like slaughter them but you're going to look for like where are they at gonna you know maybe do we move our setup the next day um and man it was cool i enjoyed it we we got on some birds i got to kill um some ducks and got some super tasty uh duck meat i got a, a mallard and a gadwall to bring home and i made some bacon wrapped duck with a blueberry red wine reduction ooh classic <laughs> that i got from you classic <laughs> and uh served it to my wife and mother-in-law this this last weekend and it was amazing i've uh, i smoked some venison backstrap this weekend and also 
did the blueberry red always. wine reduction sauce. I can always count on you to cook up some blueberry red wine reduction. I had, I had a good buddy who was like, dude, I just got a dough. Can we smoke it? And I was like, absolutely. Yeah. And he claims it's the best bite of food he's ever put in his mouth. No way. He said it's not the best meal because it's not a full meal. Okay. But we did like cream cheese mixed with honey on a cracker with the meat and then the sauce on top. Ooh. And just like bite for bite. He was like, this is unbelievable. Dude, that's, a, that's some high praise. I know. I felt pretty good about myself. Yeah, I would too. What about you? How was your uh, your trip down south to the to the homeland of duck hunting? Yeah, I mean, we were like, I don't want to say exactly where we were, um, but outside of Stuttgart in, in a neighboring town. On so I, I was with my father in law and brother in law, and father in law has a kind of a forever invite to a family duck club. That's a multi generational, fully functioning farm, you know, year round. Um, and they've, they've got, who knows, 10, 12, 14 guys who pay to lease it. And then they lease other property around it. They even lease some land from, they lease land from other farmers, from big corporations, from hospitals. Like it's an interesting, it's interesting deal down there. Cause you just see, you know, hundreds of acres on Onyx and it's like, oh, that belongs to this bank or this hospital or this really? whatever. Yeah. Where I guess, I guess maybe people die and leave them property in their will. Or it's like a trust. Wow. What would that be? What, what is that? I think it's a trust. And there's a word for if you pass away and you leave land to like a corporation, but. I think it would be a trust. You're not talking about like a nature conservancy thing mm-hmm. where it's like after I die, I want this to go into a conservation easement. Right. Okay. I think it would be a trust, but I don't That sounds right. But um, he has the invite for being camp chef. So my father-in-law. Your father-in-law. Yeah. He's got a gun that's got to be 70 years old. Like, no joke. And he's like, I'm not a duck hunter. Yeah. I play golf. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But I like to get in the blind and shoot at ducks. Yeah. But what I really like is my father-in-law. I really like really good duck camp breakfast and a really good duck camp dinner. And that's what he goes for. So he's invited really whenever he wants. I'm sure he gets, you know, he goes out there one or two weekends kind of deal. And so when we get the invite, we get to go. And it is everything you'd hope to find in duck hunting. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can pick flooded timber, a flooded field, a river, ponds. Uh, I mean, options are endless out yeah. there. And they're everywhere. That's like, crazy. there are just ducks everywhere. I want to ask you, like, being a guy from the Ozarks, what was your impression of of the landscape down there? And, like, what was your kind of your takeaway of just the habitat and the environment mm-hmm. down there just because it's so different than being up here. I think I could live in the Delta. Really? I think I could do it for a season. I don't know if I could do it forever, but I'm sure in the spring and summer, it's, it's gorgeous. Like when everything's growing and then in the winter, I mean, it's flat and cold and dead looking, mm-hmm. but when there's ducks around, you're having a blast. Yeah. I don't think you could live down there and not duck hunt. Yeah. That's you'd have to. Kind of walked away <laughs> thinking like you'd have to fill your time doing something. And oh yeah. Duck hunting would be it. But um the first morning, so I was a fan, all I'd say. Like my impression was beautiful country. Um I, I would spend more, di- more time down there it, happily. I, I feel like it's like a special kind of beauty. It's like someone mm-hmm. who's just passing through, they they might not get it. They could miss it. But until you get out on the land and you see it and like Gosh, the abundance of of food and and opportunity mm-hmm. for animals to grow big and get just healthy down there. Definitely. And just to have so many animals out there, it's amazing that they can hide in all that flat landscape. Mm-hmm. Oh, and it's cool too being in the woods where you know most of the year you're on dry land 
but that time of year you're waist deep in water. That's pretty sweet. Yeah. Um, my brother-in-law at one point looked back at me as we were hiking out and he was like, man, I would not walk through this stuff in the summer. And I was like, I was just having the same thought <laughs> like, yeah, of snakes and spiders and whatnot oh, yeah. in that like dense brush. But the first morning we, uh, packed up the side by side, drove it forever in the freezing cold through the mud, whatnot to the edge of the woods where then we got out and pulled a boat behind us, like a canoe type boat, flat bottom boat. Probably, I don't know, like two or 300 yards, but slow because it's you're in water and just walked and walked and walked and walked. And they had trails marked by like little, uh, little tacks you can put on trees that glow. Yeah. Just so you have an idea of where you're going because they had a, a hole picked out and they're like, that's a good spot. And I mean, you're just walking through the woods that's, fl- that's flooded, right? And you get to this spot where you can tell that it kind of opens up, but it's still brushy under underneath. And we have the dog, we have the decoys, we have everything. We didn't even set up decoys to start. We were like, we're just going to stand here until shooting light and see what happens. And sunrise comes up. It's gorgeous. I even threw it on the Instagram. Yeah, that video you put on there. Flat beautiful. Ozarks yeah. is a joke. It's not the Ozarks, <laughs> yeah. but... Uh, you know, I was in Flatland, and I was wondering what you meant by that when you put that on. I was like, it was, "Why did he say that?" I just, <laughs> I don't know, man. I shouldn't have access to the Instagram, especially as our account grows and we have like influence in that space, yeah. which is so weird. People are like, "Why the hell did they say that?" Yeah, people are mean on social media. It's okay. Um, and yeah, I mean, shooting light, ducks start coming in, and it was just instant. Mm. And I, I got the first shot off on the duck, or the first duck. Um, cause I, I was the only one who wasn't setting up decoys. So I was just ready to go <laughs> and they were all walking back and one came in and you know, the guy we were with was like, shoot that duck. And yeah. it, like, it was right in front of my face, just cranked on him. Like, I will. And, uh, then we hunted there for a bit, had some ducks behind us. We moved to that spot, couldn't get on them. <clears throat> then we came back and found a different hole and I was watching mallards fly in. So we set up and watched more come in and had to hunt that way. And then the rest of the time was pretty much a field blind, like a flooded field in a blind, um, which I love. And we were shooting birds in the morning for sure. My favorite hunt, though, was in the afternoon on day two or three. I'm not sure which. Uh, we had we were done hunting, but we hadn't limited. And uh, I was like, man, it's our last afternoon. I want to kill ducks. Like, I don't want to just sit around. And so they have this spot. That is too, I don't, maybe it's a slough or it's like a, it's some backwater like off the main river where it's just flat and still and you see ducks on it like all the time. Yeah. Um, and they have a blind there, I think permanently. And it's one of those places where you can see them landing way out, you know, 50, 60, 70, 80 yards past you. Just like they keep coming in, keep coming in. But if they're going to come to you, I didn't have a, a call. We didn't have decoys out and we didn't have a dog to retrieve them. So we knew whatever we shot, we had to go get with the boat. And, uh, my, me and my, my brother-in-law and one of our other buddies sat there and just decided any duck that comes our way, that's low enough. It's not going to land in front of us, but if they come screaming by, we're going to, we're going to shoot at them, see what happens. Mm -hmm. And, uh, we got a mallard, we got like a spoon bill. And then right as we were gearing up to leave, um, I'd realized that I was shooting poorly in the afternoon because I took off the, like, bumper pad I have on my shotgun that lifts my cheek. And so I was looking down too much of the shotgun barrel. So I was getting 
all the like all the barrel in my sight and then the dot rather than just the dot right above like the top of the line. You yeah. know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. On a shotgun, like it's not a perfect sight, but you you don't need to see a ton of barrel and then your little dot. You right. need to see the dot. So I figured that out and was like, okay, now I, now I know how to shoot my gun again since I took this thing off. And a, a group of teal came by, f- flying as they do, and they're super zipping. fast. Yeah, and they they're screaming by, I guess from left to right, and uh, and I jump up and shoot twice and knock two teal right out of the sky, dude. And they just crash. That's awesome. And I was like, I just doubled on teal, and they were like, that was sweet. <laughs> oh man, like this is. This is so much fun and not like not ever getting to do this. I was just loving it. Yeah. So we got those birds and I mean that's pretty much that. But man, for being for being a guy who loves to bear hunt and deer hunt and fish, I think I I mean I've got to add ducks yeah. to the regular list of things I go after. Yeah. It it was uh it was so much you know, it was so much so I enjoyed that that as soon as I came back, I was like, gosh, where where can I find some ducks around mm-hmm. here? Because you just want to. Like, it's it's just another thing, especially now in the winter where it's like, it's so brutal and to be outside and, you know, deer hunting's kind of winding down. Mm-hmm. You can start trapping, but there's just, you know, you want to have a variety of different things to do. And so to add duck hunting to that would be really cool. Mm-hmm. But knowing that you kind of got to find some special spots around here and it's not always easy. But man, it was, it was a ton of fun. I loved it. Dude, and that's just exploring new country. I've decided is one of my favorite things. Yeah. Like, I would have been happy if we didn't kill a duck all weekend. Mm. I really would have. Yeah. Just getting to explore new woods and see different water and, I don't know, loading up in a side-by-side with waders and getting covered in mud to go find some hole and see if animals come in. Like, that's just fun. Yeah, it's it is. just, there's something about it. There is, man, for sure. There's a lot of things to know about hunting turkeys in the Ozarks. But there's two things I know for sure. One, it's that turkeys have really good eyesight, so your camo matters. Canis makes an incredible turkey camo. It is comfortable, it is breathable, blends into the background like no other. It is the perfect camouflage for those long sits, back up against a white oak tree, hearing those hens and gobblers hold up 200 yards away as I'm just waiting for them to come in. The second thing you gotta know is you have to be prepared for anything. Whether it's a tom sneaking up behind you or a rainstorm coming at you out of nowhere, Canis has you covered. From the Nunavut rain jacket to the chamois fleece hoodie to the alpine pant with built-in knee pads, make sure you have Canis on you for this upcoming turkey season. Use our discount code OZARK for 15% off website or in-store, and good luck this turkey season. Sadly, hunting season in the Ozarks has come to an end. But in these hills and hollers, it's always been the off-season where woodsmen dialed in their equipment to get ready for the next hunt. And there is no better time to dial in your shot grouping with some new gear from Umarex. Our friends over at Umarex produce some of the most accurate air-powered rifles in the world, with everything from 22 caliber guns for squirrels and rabbits, 30 calibers for coyotes, bobcats, and coons, all the way up to 50 caliber air rifles that can take down white-tailed deer, feral hogs, and bear. Umarex leads the industry in accuracy and innovation, making some of the best hunting air guns on the market, hands down. Head on over to umarexusa.com and use our discount code OZARKAIR for 12% off your entire order and start getting dialed in for your next hunt. We're gonna do some some real reactions and and what's kind of been fun about this we've done this a couple times you you guys have heard it if you've been listening um, 
we are kind of bringing back up, highlighting uh, bits and pieces of of content that we've put out on social media that y'all have responded to, or, or people who follow us and, and don't follow us on on social media have responded to in a way where it's kind of like blown up a little bit, mm-hmm. and um, it's kind of fun for us to see what y'all react to and and which pieces because we put it out and we're like we all we think it's all kind of cool, but then you know something pops off and we're like. Why did that one? Like, why? What is it about that one? Mm-hmm. Then we kind of talk about it. So, uh, this first one is coming from our episode we did uh, with Gordon Watkins, the president of Buffalo River Watershed Alliance, talking about the Buffalo River redesignation. And just a reminder: if you haven't listened to his his angle that we kind of approached with him on that episode was, let's talk about this redesignation and the impact of tourism in a purely environmental way like Mm -hmm. put aside the history the culture um the economics of it like let's talk about environmental impact uh and so this was one of the pieces of the interview uh, that we posted on social media also seeing lots of development outside the boundaries of the buffalo river johnny morris with bass pro shops you know recently bought the old dog patch property acquiring lots more properties around it the walton family recently purchased horseshoe canyon tourist draw for rock climbers and horseback riding and zip lines they're on the tributaries and they're going to feed the buffalo and if they're not managed carefully they're going to have an impact on the water quality of the river the fact that the buffalo is only 11 percent of the watershed so there's going to be lots more development surrounding the watershed and if that's not done properly that's going to have an even greater impact i think than the tourists that are actually utilizing the river that piece we posted and first day it kind of sat a little dormant but then like the next like two or three days that one just blew up mm-hmm. i'm looking at it now right now it's got 227,000 views it's got uh, 2,200 shares, 96 comments, 4,202 likes. It's it's just blown up. People have kind of posted that everywhere. And it's been crazy to see because we've actually gained like 3,000 followers on Instagram in the last two days. I wonder if it's people who also are going to like <laughs> everything else we do. Maybe. I hope so. Time will tell. I hope so. Uh, but it, it's interesting because um, that one, you know, for me listening to that, it's, um, I hear that and... You know, one, if you don't know that, it's like a it's a red flag goes up. And you're mm-hmm. like, whoa, like what's going on? What is this? I didn't know this. And, you know, it's good that people know about it just to be aware of it. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that, um, you know, I could tell in, in some of the comments, I noticed there were, there were some people who were like, hey, you know, thanks for letting us know. Good. I didn't know this. Good. Good to know. Um, and then there were some people who were like, oh, my gosh, our, our environment is ruined. And it was more like a fatalist. Mm-hmm. kind of mindset on it. And and I fall more in the camp of like, you know, this isn't like a the end of the world like you know, there there are things about this that we we can be proactive about and if we can talk about it and if anyone can do things the right way and have the the means to um develop places with the right kind of mindset and and impact on the environment and can afford to do that, it would be like these types of people mm-hmm. who have the money. And so um, that's kind of where I fall on that was like, man, that's, that's crazy. And it was just interesting to me to see the different people, how different people responded and reacted to, to that bit of content there. There's the, just the deep, uh, kind of Arkansas spirit of like, don't, don't mess with our stuff and don't, don't come in here and think you can do better than we can and all of that. And in some ways I feel like that's probably appropriate and probably right. But in other ways, 
that mindset will never even open the door for conversation as to like what action needs to happen in yeah. outdoor spaces in the vein of conservation and management and how to protect, you know, a national river, all of that kind of stuff. And so I probably am a little less gung ho about it, a little more like might side with some of those people. Yeah, <laughs> like, sure. I don't, I don't want, we don't want a bass pro on the, on the Buffalo river for sure, but that's not even what they're saying is going to happen. Um, or even, I mean, nobody's even alluded to that at all. I just get how you can immediately put your head there if it's like the worst case scenario. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, property is being bought up around there cause it's valuable cause mm-hmm. the river's valuable. Uh, not even because it has value economically or for tourists, it's just valuable cause it's an amazing river. Right. So I, I get why if you had the money, you're like, I'm going to buy out there. Yeah. I want this. Yeah. No, it, it definitely makes sense. And, and I think too, his point, which is, which I think is, um, it's, it's great to think about is it's not just what happens on the river. It's the, it's the stuff around it. I think that was really what he was saying there. And that was, it's, it's not that there's more people on the water. Yes. That, that degrades the experience of being out there floating when you're bumper to bumper mm-hmm. with everybody and their mom on the river, you know, in the summer. Um, but what has more of an impact is if we're building, you know, resorts and cabins and there's however many more people, you know, emptying sewage and waste into the watershed and that makes it back to the river, that's going to have such more of an impact because the the river itself is only 11% mm-hmm. of the watershed itself. All those tributaries are really where all the sediment and anything that's going to be bad is going to get into the river and possibly impair it if, you know, worst case scenario. Um, or or kill I mean, off wildlife. Like the, like the hog farm. Yeah, exactly. Which was a big part of his episode, talking about how it ran for five years, I think. Is that right? Right at maybe, five? Maybe even a little bit more than that. But, but you know, they were aware of it, tried to shut it down, eventually yeah. happened. And he, they're going, it's like, it's probably going to mess with the water for the next 20-something years. Yeah. Just to show how tied we all are together in this, this whole thing. I yeah. mean, what you do upriver is always going to affect what happens downriver. There's a, a life metaphor there for you. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. Yeah, definitely. But just, uh, yeah, if land around the buffalo and its tributaries and all of that gets overly developed, it will have an impact, a pretty yeah. significant impact. Yeah. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, and, and I and what I kind of said to start this one off is like, I'm not saying that, you know, it's not something we should be cautious of and definitely should totally fight against to make sure that it's done right and hold people accountable. Um but it, I, I still think that, like, there's stuff we can do and, and can be proactive about some of this stuff to hopefully do it in a way where, you know, all is not lost. Like, let's let's do what we can mm-hmm. and hope that that's enough. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so, all right. So, the next one we've got is uh, this one came from our episode uh, with Casey Brewster, Dr. Brewster. And um, this Casey— This one was fun. Yeah, this one was fun. I, I enjoyed talking with him. He's— he he wears a lot of hats. Um, I mean, he he works with Game and Fish on on research. He works um, at the University of Arkansas. He's a professor at NWAC. He's involved with Snake Mountain Pack Goats. Mm-hmm. Like this guy does a lot of different stuff, and uh, and so it was fun getting to sit with him. But the the focus of the episode, if, for anyone who didn't listen, was uh, we talked about glades and uh, glades in the Ozarks, and a lot of people are like, I don't even know what that is. Like I think of the Everglades. And so to get to talk with somebody like him who's super knowledgeable about it and a lot of his time is spent on or near Glades, um, it was cool to to hang out with him and, and learn from him. 
Um, but this this piece of content um, was uh, posted and it it kind of blew up. It's got about twenty thousand views as I'm looking at it right now, and uh, I'm gonna let it play. A glade is gonna be an open natural habitat area that's dominated by grasses primarily in forbs, thin soil with a decent amount of bedrock exposed, not overrun with woody vegetation or canopy cover. Before European settlement, the Ozarks were just completely full of glades. There was lots of savanna, lots of prairie. Intermixed between the prairie and the savanna was glade habitat. It was way more frequent than what we see now, primarily due to the lack of fire, prescribed fire. Kyle, what do you think about that one? I think it makes me wish that i could have seen the ozarks a couple hundred years ago yeah truly yeah and we keep talking about that i mean i want to see the savannah prairie and i want to see the the old growth forest uh butting up against a glade i want to see it before it was uh just logged and regrown and i want to go find some and figure out uh kind of how the animals use it like yeah. i want to I know how wildlife utilize glade habitat yeah i do too and, and to to walk around i mean we talked about it in the episode and, and we even talked about it on your property like there's a potential that on on the property that we hunt or your grandpa's property that that was a glade like the top there where all mm-hmm. those cedars are um that would have historically just been that exposed bedrock and you know you didn't have all those cedars there and to even get a chance to see what that was like however many years ago, which probably wasn't all that long ago because there's not like those cedars are yeah. huge or There's towering. a few that are huge. But yeah. yeah, for the most part, you're right. Um, just to kind of walk around those and explore. It did, since we've put that out and done that episode, uh, we've had a few listeners send in some pictures of some mm-hmm. different glades that they've been to and, and have seen. And uh, golly, man, some of the places are just gorgeous. It's, it doesn't, you know, it, if you don't know that that exists here, you wouldn't think that that was a view of somewhere in the Ozarks. Mm-hmm. It looks like a foreign land. Mm-hmm. And you're looking out there and um, Casey talks about just the landscapes and the different types of animals that are there. Like the collared lizard that's this bright colored tropical lizard. To see that, you're like, oh, I'm in Mexico. Not the Ozarks. Not the Ozarks. You wouldn't even think. Yeah, I mean... And the grasshopper that has the special camo pattern. Yeah, the, the lichen. lichen grasshopper. Yeah. I've never seen one of those in my life. Yeah. But I guess you can find them in glades. Yeah. It's definitely something as a as a hunter, something to be aware of when you're out. If if you're hunting public and you're cruising through, you're scouting, check the edges of those things. I mean, he talked about mm-hmm. how the, the minerals and, and sediment rolls off that bedrock into that thicker soil around the edges. And there's a lot of mineral there. Deer can be, um, you know, making a scrape or... At least walking it, you're going to see some tracks and prints. So not even just the appreciation of it as like the outdoors are awesome, but like as a tactic, you know, check them out, see what's going on there and try to look for some sign because that's a likely a, a target-rich environment. I didn't realize too that most of the times when I s- have seen a glade, I probably thought it was just a place the trees didn't grow. Yeah. Like it was just like, oh, it's like a top of a hill. That makes sense. Right. Um, but there's something fundamentally different about it that is it's – the way it's made up allows it to be a different ecosystem than the rest of the forest or the rest of the field or the rest of whatever. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that's just how the soil erodes or how the rocks were formed or what does that, but I think it's got to have to do with some of the, how the rocks were formed. And and that even goes into, we've, we've actually, we'll be talking about this soon on an upcoming thing, but um, just 
and we've talked about it before, is like the Ozarks, how they were formed. Mm-hmm. They're not true mountains. They're they're not like geologically they weren't formed by mountains and plates shifting and jutting up into the sky. It was actually a, a you've heard it before maybe in your history class, Ozark Plateau. It was a plateau and it's all been cut out and eroded. And so you've what you're left with in these high spots is places that were hard to erode because they were really hard bed mm-hmm. bedrock maybe is kind of what I'm getting at. And and so that's, you know, in my mind, like, oh, that makes total sense. Like, that's exactly why they're, they are the way they are. And there's not a lot of soil on that because it's all been eroded away. And do you think the reason we've lost a lot of them is because logging has created soil? Does that make sense? Like, it's introducing a top layer that biodegrades. Mm, maybe. Or is it just cedars? Like, cedars can grow in that thin stuff, and they just take over and, like, carpet it. Yeah, I think it's probably cedars were able to take over, right, because um, the lack of prescribed fire, like, he mentions it there, is, like, Mm -hmm. a lot of that's due to the lack of prescribed fire. So, historically, when you had the Indians burning it all the time, those cedars couldn't take root, they couldn't take hold, um, and they just would have stayed, I think, prairie and savanna and, Mm -hmm. and just open like that. But now you get these cedars, which can grow in really thin soil, and places where big oaks can't, um, mm-hmm. they just take over because they don't need as much. It's kind of what, at least what he was talking about on the episode, yeah. if, if you remember back. Um, but yeah, I, super cool episode. It kind of like, we got into that one. I was like, man, this is awesome. Like, this feels like we're in our sweet spot here. This is a really interesting stuff. Well, and we even covered hogs with him. That's on the uh, the check station. Yeah. Didn't right. even make it into the main episode because there's like a whole other side of... Dr. Casey Brewster and what he's what he does with his life. Yeah, like some of the research even, that they were doing. Mm-hmm. That's some wild stuff. It is. Um, all right, we're gonna shift to uh, our last reel, and uh, and this one was actually before this one came out before um, Christmas, and um, it was a reel with JD Clayton off that episode. And what's funny is between the two social media platforms, this one like didn't blow up as much on Instagram, but on Facebook, like it went crazy. It got over 500,000 views um, and people were commenting on it and all that stuff. But um, it was, uh, hold on. (laughs) Trying to think how I want to introduce this one. Might not, I'm just letting it play. Um, So yeah, so with JD, it kind of blew up on Facebook, blah, blah, blah. And it was just kind of him talking about his story and, and how he came up with uh, some of his songs and the year that he had in Nashville. And, and for anyone who didn't listen to that one, JD's a musician. He's actually a buddy of ours. Um, we have we go way back. Uh, he's grown up and with myself when I was really really young. We didn't even mention that on the episode. He and I were on the same like t-ball team back when That's we were wild, like eight and nine years old. And uh, and then Daniel actually got to go work with him in Nashville when Daniel was doing music and he started getting into audio. So. Anyways, uh, here's this reel with JD. Pulled me in the back. They were like, man, um, we're going to have to let you go. Dad, gum. Like, what is this? Yeah. You know, hop in the truck, drive home. And my landlord, he owned a landscape company. And I pull up to the driveway and I was like, it's getting real out there. I just lost my job. I was like, hey, man, if you're serious, um, I've got a job for you. A week later, I show up, jump in a truck with Nico, Alfredo, and Jose. And for a year and a half, we drive all over Nashville, running irrigation, planting trees, digging trenches. And there were some days I would drive home from the landscape, coming to just absolutely beating the roof of my van, just like, what am I doing? Yeah. This is so stupid. All during that time, I was riding. 
and like songs started coming. Planned a Christmas show winter of 2021. And somehow the poster for my Christmas show ended up on the desk of an agent at William Morris, a big booking company in Nashville. She gives it to her superior. They send it over to Red Light Management, manages um, Chris Stapleton and Dave Matthews Band. A couple months later, they signed me. And I start touring in July of 2022 for the first time ever. We opened for Old Crow Medicine Show in Birmingham. Parker McCalm, Hank Williams Jr., Dwight Yoakam, Ashley McBride. I mean, what? Yeah. What? It's just been an absolutely wild year. So that's him telling his story a little bit about how he was in Nashville to make the music thing work. COVID shut down the world, lost his job, and then he wasn't mad that he was just in landscaping. That this is stupid, <laughs> I don't think, which is like, oh, I have to work. I have to work landscaping for a living. I think it's a, I have this dream in me. Yeah. And I can't do it. Like, it's, it's not working. And then some things align and it's happening. And so what stood out to you in that episode, Kyle, specifically thinking about kind of the Ozark sound and then how it relates to JD's story there? Yeah. Um, that was such a fun episode for, for us to go down there and, and hang out with him in his studio that he's like still kind of working on and, and, you know, getting up to speed so he can do some other stuff there. Um, I think with, with JD's episode, what I liked was it was, it was different than what we normally do. It kind of showed a different side and to talk mm -hmm. about some of the music and, and his, his style of music. And he said this in the episode is like, he is not, he wouldn't call himself the Ozark sound. Um, but he was able to kind of paint a picture of what the Ozark sound might be. And he mm -hmm. talked about like, and the Ozark sound is like, if you can pull that sound of the, of the water running over the, the rocks in the river, of the campfire crackling, you're sitting around drinking coffee, you hear that hoot owl off 100 yards away. If you can take some of those feelings of those noises and, and put those into music and lyrics, that's the Ozark sound. And for him to kind of do that as a musician and think, you know, as he's a creative and he's thinking about, like, how do I, you know, get people to feel what I'm feeling through words that I write, for him to kind of put that into words was what stood out to me. Like, he's right. I mean, you know, you think of the Ozark sound, typically you're probably going to think of, like, a little bit of a, an Appalachian influence with banjos and, and folk music and then tying that into back to the outdoors of, like, these are people who spend all their time outside historically and um and that's where it ties together is just the relationship between spending time outside needing entertainment and wanting music as you're sitting by the fire that's where it all connects and to be able to take those times and moments and put those that into songs mm -hmm. and music is where that ozark sound comes from I, I think you were the one who even asked the question of of the ozark sound where do you feel like jd lands because I mean, he's he kind of calls himself like the Arkansas kid. He's like, I don't know that I'm the Ozark sound, but I might be the Arkansas, have an Arkansas sound and influence. And that means this, this, and this. Like, how do you think JD aligns to to that? Well, he'd say that means like Cash, Skinner, CCR. I don't remember who else he said. Yeah. <laughs> that, you know, kind of early rock influence as well as some folk and some country. Um Man, I th I think he's the Ozark Sound or an Ozark Sound because his music is the music I listen to when I'm driving to the river to go fish. Yeah. <laughs> or in my truck and it's super early and I'm trying to hype myself up to go get in the deer stand in the freezing cold. Uh, it's it's his music. Right. And so I think he nails it. Like I think I think he's going to be a huge deal. I think he's already a big deal. I think he's going to be a huge deal. I think his music is that good. His songwriting ability is that strong. 
I also think we're in a world now where people want real, like in everything. Um, I mean, that's why there's a movement going back to like, let's homestead and farm our own food and, and not, you know, all that kind of stuff that you'll, you'll just see kind of pop up as millennials kind of take control. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, I think he's very real and very, very relatable. And, um, that can carry you a long way in the, in the music world or just in, in life in general. And I think it's the honesty and the, the willingness to work hard and the kind of the art, the Arkansas kid type stuff that right. this is where I came from. This is who I am. And I'm unashamed of it. I'm going to put it out in the world and, and see what happens. Um, I think that makes his music why it's so good. I think yeah. that's why it's real. Yeah. I'm with you. I mean, you can hear it in his, in his tone too. Mm-hmm. Like even when we just, we recorded that song, him singing it long way from home there live, just him and his guitar. It's still, it was enough. Like you didn't need everything else, a drum set, another guitar, the band, just him and his voice alone was enough to like, you could feel every word, mm-hmm. especially knowing a little bit of the story behind it. It's like, I get this. Like I, I don't just hear what he's saying. I feel it too. And anytime someone can make you feel what they're feeling, um, through their music and, and lyrics is like, yep, you got it. Like you can, that is what a songwriter does and, mm-hmm. and you're going to be a big deal. I totally agree with you. Oh, I agree. He's making it, making it and going to make it big. For sure. Well, that kind of concludes the the reels that we've got. Um, Kyle, to kind of, to wrap up the episode, what do you got for the listeners? I have one request. Okay. I want to know, truly, I want to know how y'all spend January and February in the Ozarks. Because you can fish, it's really cold. I do it sometimes, yeah. but you're—I mean—you're talking multiple layers going for trout, probably because the you know they can survive it. Yeah. Um, but I want to know how y'all, as outdoorsmen and women, are spending your time in the Ozarks during this month. Mm-hmm. Are you trapping? Are you catching striper? Are you building good fires and sitting at home? Are you squirrel hunting? Are you rabbit hunting? Are you trying to tag a late season deer? Are you trying to fill the freezer? Are you doing what we did and you're just like leaving? <laughs> Are you leaving the Ozarks? <laughs> <laughs> getting out of here. Yeah, getting out of here for a bit. Um, but I know even uh, some of the episodes we have coming up are geared towards even some more niche things in the Ozarks because the just the general, I mean, kind of the seasonal things that we normally go through kind of get placed on pause for a little bit. Yeah. Um, so you don't have the obvious like, well, it's bear season or it's deer season or it's this season. Um, so I want to know what y'all are doing. Like, yeah. How are you spending your time in the freezing months of January, February in the Ozarks? Absolutely. No, that's a good that's a good request and question. DM us on D- Instagram. Yeah, DM us. Send us pictures um, if you are getting out and doing stuff. Even if you're just hiking, like, you know, we don't talk a whole lot about hiking, but we totally could. There's tons of hiking in the Ozarks, um, and maybe it's a, an opportunity to hike and go scout somewhere. Maybe you found a glade. Maybe you found a glade. Send us pictures of see it. some more glades. Yeah. I want to see some cool places. And and this isn't like a, we're going to take it and throw it on our Instagram, yeah. like just take your content. No. We just, we want to see it. And I, I think we we see this endeavor as much more of a community thing than maybe it comes off in a podcast format. Because yeah. you listen to enough podcasts, you're like, well, you know, everybody has one of these and it's just somebody talking in my ear. But we only talk about the Ozarks. Yeah. So there's, I mean, the people we're talking to... I or within a specific radius, I imagine. Oh, yeah. From where we're sitting today. And so I want to know how you're doing it. Yeah. No, that's a great question. And and just to make 
make sure that you don't feel like we will never spot burn. We will never post your spot somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, we just like to see what the heck y'all are doing. And if it helps us and you like, if it helps us make content for you that you want to hear about and learn more about, it just goes a long way. It mm-hmm. helps us. Um, so, so anyways, enjoyed it. It's always fun seeing how you guys react to, to content. Um, we're going to get through this cold and wintry couple of months and we'll see on the other side when fishing's coming around. Um, but we've got some more stuff Dude, coming I'm for you. Ready for some walleye. Dude, me too. I'm even, I'm ready to, I'm going to try to get out and, and do some walleye fishing with the fly rod. I saw a guy the other day doing that. Like he had committed completely and he caught a limit just like awesome in the morning. So I think I might try my hand at that. I think you should. Um, Real quick before we go, I've got one last thing. Uh, we're gonna we've got a check station coming up um, for our subscribers to that. We're we're gonna be talking about. We just recently we boiled some traps, so we're gonna do a deep dive on how we did it. Kind of talk through the process mm-hmm. of it. It went good. It didn't go great, <laughs> but we've we've got With some the wrong wax. <laughs> we've got some lessons learned. Um, so that'll be fun talking about that. We're also gonna be talking about what we've got coming up on the Ozark podcast and some episodes, uh, we're going to start teasing some guests who we have on the schedule, some topics that we're thinking about. And uh, I'm excited about it. Cause like you said, there's, it's not like the seasonal stuff. So in the winter, we kind of have a little bit more flex of what we can cover. Mm -hmm. And we've got some out of the box people that are going to make some really good episodes. So we're going to be talking about those on the check station. Uh, And just as a reminder for the check station, it's exclusively on Apple podcasts. It's three 99 a month. Um, that's where you go sign up for that. But thank you all for tuning in. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. If so, make sure you share it with a buddy and we will see you on the next one. This podcast is hosted by Kyle V and Kyle Plunkett and produced by Daniel Matthews. For guest recommendations, episode ideas, and general questions, feel free to reach out to us on Instagram or email us at theozarkpodcast at gmail.com. And of course, we can't forget to thank our good buddy, J.D. Clayton, for providing the amazing music for today's episode. Check out his website to see where he's touring next at jdclaytonofficial.com. 